Good morning. This is John Richardson speaking with you from Toronto, Canada. Today is Thursday, February the 23rd, 2023. And 24 hours ago, I did not know that I was going to have this podcast. 24 hours ago, I learned about an amazing decision concerning the applicability of one of our favorite topics, Mr. F-Bar, and specifically how green card holders who are treaty non-residents may be able to argue that they are exempt from the applicability and the tyranny of Mr. F-Bar. And joining me today is the person who I consider to be the world's renowned F-Barologist, Virginia Latora Jaker, return guest, who, as listeners will know, is a U.S. tax lawyer based in Dubai. So, Virginia, how are you today? Oh, John, I'm great, and I'm so happy about this decision that I'm just jumping for joy. Well, for those who aren't exa- don't exactly uh, see Mr. F-Bar as a paragon of justice, uh, it clearly is a good decision, and, and Virginia, I, I I would include you, I think, in that in that camp. But in any case, uh, why don't we begin with the bottom line, what the decision appears to mean, bottom line, and then kind of go backwards. In other words, let's start with the good news. Okay, so I think the good news is we have a taxpayer who is a green card holder, but he has been um, residing in Mexico and is taking the position that under the U.S.-Mexico tax treaty, that he is, um, to use the treaty tiebreaker provision, that he should be treated as a resident of Mexico. And as a result of him being treated as a Mexican tax resident under the treaty, despite holding a green card, that this excuses him from having to file an F-bar. And the court, in looking at this argument, is agreeing with the taxpayer. This is the United States District Court for the Southern District of California. And this case just came down um, on 13th of Feb. So there's a lot of moving parts here. And I know I've made it sound really great, but when we get into the nitty gritty of it, you know, we could suss it out a little bit more. But essentially, the issue is that seems to be coming down in this decision is that someone who can make this treaty tiebreaker election and be treated as a resident of the foreign country under the treaty is not to be treated as a United States person for the purposes of filing an FBAR, even though, you know, they have that green card. Would you say that's a fair? I would say that that is a fair statement analysis of the bottom line of what the decision means and how it is likely to be used. All right. Mm -hmm. So bottom line is simply this. It's good news. All right. It's good news for taxpayers. Now, I think it might be worth just backtracking a little bit on this. Um, so the FBAR statute, uh, first of all, you would agree that it, it certainly doesn't it, it doesn't apply 
for the purposes of tax issues only, right? I mean, it's designed to locate terrorists and, you know, money laundering and all kinds of things where taxation is a peripheral issue, right? That's right. It's got many purposes behind the um, filing of the FBAR and uh, tax issues is just one. Okay. And it's also, uh, we've discussed this before, the authority for this is found in the Bank Secrecy Act, specifically Section 5314, but really that language is pretty sparse. So what it actually does is delegates to the Treasury Secretary the responsibility for making the actual rules, right? Yes, that's right. Okay. And part of the rules, obviously, leaving aside what you have to report on an FBAR, God knows we've had enough podcasts on that issue, but the rules include, they apply to United States persons, they apply to individuals who are United States persons, and the rules make an attempt to define the meaning of a United States person, right? Yes. yes so yes. citizens always get singled out for horrible treatment. So citizens are always United States persons, right? Mm-hmm. Wherever they live in the world. Okay. Yeah, and, and residents. And what's interesting about this, right, and I say interesting because we recognize that the FBAR rules are in a different section. It's, it's Title 31, not Title 26, which is the Internal Revenue Code. I mean, it very clearly, although it might include tax issues, goes way beyond tax issues. You know, there's no link in the statutes at all between Title 26 and Title 31. But yet what's interesting is that in defining United States person, I wonder if you'd comment on what the FBAR regulation actually does. Right. So now we move out of our tax realm and we move into the FBAR regulations, which are found in a completely different section, the Code of Federal Regulations. It's uh, CFR 31, and then it's section 1010.350. So now we are out of the tax realm into the into the FBAR realm, and it defines a United States person as, of course, a citizen. It also defines it as a resident of the United States. A resident of the United States is an individual who was a resident alien under Internal Revenue Code Section 7701B and the regulations thereunder. Dot, dot, dot. So All right. it, it takes you into the Internal Revenue Code and the regulations that define who is a U.S. Uh, resident alien. All right, so that's really, really interesting. So we're starting from two statutes, the Tax Code and the Bank Secrecy Act, two completely different parts of United States law. No legislative link between them whatsoever, at least that I'm aware of, or at least this part of it. Then all of a sudden in the FBAR regulations, in order to determine who's a resident and therefore subject to the FBAR rules, what they do is they say, well, we're going to look into the Internal Revenue Code, right? That's right. Now, that's kind of interesting. That's kind of interesting. Okay. So I wonder if... Not only is it interesting, John, not only is it interesting, but it's important for our listeners to understand that this is critical to the, the court's decision. Absolutely. And I wonder, could you take us through that? 
Okay, so bear in mind, it, it's pretty complicated, but I think the judge did a nice job. And when people read the actual case, they will see the judge has applied a five-step process in um, analyzing the statute and the regulations framework. So, And that starts on what page of the decision? It starts on page six. Right. Okay. And so I'm going to include the decision with this, with this podcast. So beginning with the part of it that says the upshot of this statutory and regulatory framework applicable to this action in which tax okay. treaties provide a potential escape hatch that excuses certain United States persons from filing FBARs. Here, here's what you're talking about, right? Yes. All right. Can so it's an escape story? hatch. <laughs> it's an escape hatch. I love that. Um, excuses certain United States persons from filing FBARs. You've got to go through the five-step process according to the judge's analysis here. And let's look at step one. They say under step one, Internal Revenue Code section 7701B6, anyone allowed to permanently reside within the United States by virtue of U.S. immigration laws is a lawful permanent resident for tax purposes unless an applicable tax treaty allows that person to be treated as a resident of a foreign country for tax purposes only. So that's their first step, is they're looking at the code 7701B6. And shall we look at that? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Take us through it. So let's look at 7701B6. It defines a lawful permanent resident as follows. Uh, an individual is a lawful permanent resident of the United States at any time if such individual has the status of having been lawfully accorded the privilege of residing permanently in the United States, da, 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 meaning the green card. And such status has not been revoked and has not been administratively or judicially determined to have been abandoned. Then it goes on and says... All right, so just pause for one sec. So the starting point is, if you got a green card, you're stuck, right? Yep. If okay. you got a green card, you are a United States person, right? That's right. Now... That's why I think it's kryptonite. They call it a green card because it's kryptonite, right? Lovely. Well, here's the escape hatch bit. In the code, it says, and at that same section, an individual shall cease to be treated as a lawful permanent resident of the United States if such individual commences to be treated as a resident of a foreign country under the provisions of a tax treaty between the United States and the foreign country does not waive the benefits of such treaty applicable to residents of the foreign country and notifies the secretary of the commencement of such treatment. So this is your potential escape hatch. You've got to have a treaty with a foreign country. You have to be treated as a resident of the foreign country under that treaty. You don't waive the benefits of the treaty and you notify the secretary, meaning the IRS, of the commencement of such treatment, and that would be 
on form 8833. So this is your potential escape hatch. And what the court is saying to go back to our steps is um, the five-step process. Anyone allowed to permanently reside within the U.S. under the immigration laws is a lawful permanent resident for tax purposes unless an applicable tax treaty allows that person to be treated as a resident of a foreign country for tax purposes only. Then they go on, step two, under 7701B1A little i, any lawful permanent resident is a resident alien. We've already gone through that. Under the Code of Federal Regulations for the FBAR purposes, this is 31 CFR 1010.350, any resident alien is a resident of the United States. Then it goes on to step four. Any resident of the United States is a United States person required to file an FBAR. That's under the same treaty regulation. Okay, so just pause here for one second, Virginia. I just want to do a bit of a pause because when we go to five, the judge is giving sort of the conclusion, right? And the takeaway from the case, yes? Mm -hmm. Yes. So what is this takeaway now? Takeaway is, therefore, any person allowed to permanently reside in the U.S. by virtue of U.S. immigration laws, that means has the green card, must file an FBAR unless that person is entitled to be treated as a resident of a foreign country under a tax treaty. All right. Wow. I mean, that's fabulous news, isn't it? It, it certainly is. It certainly is. I mean, I, I can't say it's bulletproof, but it's fantastic news. The question the judge asks is whether the treaty can provide this gentleman, the taxpayer in the case, whether the treaty provides him this escape hatch. Okay. Right. And, and they are saying it certainly can provide him this escape hatch. The Internal Revenue Service is arguing, no, no, no. Um, this shouldn't provide any kind of escape hatch. Okay. They're arguing essentially that just because you might be a resident of a foreign country for purposes of a treaty, that does not get you out of filing FBAR. You know, the, the tax treaty stuff is for income tax purposes, tax purposes. FBAR is completely different. But what I like what the judge has done here is basically, to my mind, when I read it, the case, the judge is saying, look, in your own regulations, you have opened the door and invited the Internal Revenue Code and the regulations under a certain section defining who's a lawful permanent resident. You are opening the door and using those sections to define who is a U.S. person for purposes of the FBAR filing rules. So, so because you've opened the door, you have to live with the result, which is, according to the judge, this five-step process. And if you've got the treaty and you're a resident under that treaty of the foreign country, then you're not a U.S. person for FBAR purposes. 
So, so really, isn't the judge saying to the U.S. government that, hey, stop it, you're trying to suck and blow it exactly the same time? Yes, yes, that's how I read it. Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. Well, that's that's very interesting. So, so really, this whole thing arises because of the Treasury regulation, which ties the definition of resident to the definition under the tax code. That's correct. That's correct. What if they? What if they had just a, you know uh, tied it to the definition under the Immigration and Nationality Act? Would we get a different result? Oh, yes, because under the Immigration and Nationality Act, you have the green card. You're a lawful permanent resident, full stop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's interesting, isn't it? Very interesting. I mean, the, only thing, the only thing maybe one could argue if they had tied it to that was, gee, you've been residing in the foreign country. You didn't meet the requirements of whatever you should be residing in the U.S. So, I don't know, you, you may have some... Well, yeah, well, that's exactly the problem, isn't it, right? That you lose the the immigrant visa, the green card, at the point that you lose the intention to reside permanently in the United States. I know, but I have a feeling they may have to take it away from you. It doesn't just automatically cease to happen because you've lived in a foreign country. I don't know. I'm not an immigration lawyer. Well, but I here's think the there has to be some judicial action, administrative action, and taking away the green card. And until well, that happens, you're a green card holder. Well, clearly, uh, clearly they had a choice in how to define it in the regulation. And, and it may have been very, very unwise to have tied this to a section of the Internal Revenue Code where residents may be dependent on a tax treaty. But in any case, you know, I would also... Uh, raise a couple of other issues. Uh, you and I in the past, I think, have discussed the fact that these treaty tiebreak provisions are not the same for all countries, right? You know, in some countries, a green card holder might be able to have a treaty tiebreak provision and perhaps other countries not. So, you know, one thing about this decision is that it does illuminate, although they didn't talk about it, it does illuminate the problem of the inequities in the tax treaties, right? Or the differences in the tax treaties. That's correct. That's correct. Because one similarly situated individual to another will be treated differently just because of the treaty. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, uh, of course, that's very much the American way, though. Uh, <laughs> it's actually very much the American way. I mean, this is the rule rather than the exception. Another thing that I find interesting about this, and I'd obviously be interested in your thoughts, is that our whole discussion this morning and this decision has been based on these people having green cards. In other words, being residents because of the green card test. Mm -hmm. What about if they're residents under the substantial presence test? I mean, in other words, you know, this decision appears to give green card holders an escape hatch. That That's perhaps correct. people who meet the meet residency under the substantial presence test don't get. Or am I reading too much into it? No, no, no. I think it's it's correct unless unless there's something in the treaty that would include include the substantial presence. But I've never really seen that. Well, 
Well, no, no, the tree, no, absolutely, absolutely, you can be a treaty non-resident because of the substantial presence test, okay? But in this case, the focus is on green card holders, right? So it's really, you know, there's nothing in here that would appear. But to can you treaty tiebreak if you're if you don't have a green card and you just are U.S. person under the substantial presence test? Can you treaty tiebreak in that case? Absolutely. Okay, so then why would this be treating them differently? Because they didn't mention substantial presence test. Because the flush language applies only to uh, lawful permanent residents. Uh, yeah, uh -huh. yeah, right. that's the reason. Yes. I, I mean, I, I personally, I would have no problem arguing you should get the same result. Okay, mm -hmm. because but, yeah, I know what you're saying, but under the judge's analysis, that that language was important. Yeah, I, I think that's right. I think that's right. Yeah. Okay. Okay, let's just see if there is there anything. Well, at least some green card holders may may get some thrill out of this. For sure, this case will be, I'm sure, appealed by the IRS. No doubt about it. Yeah, let's see. Um, I bet it's already been filed. Should be the Ninth Circuit. Let's see what they say. And uh, yeah, let's see. This is um. This is a bombshell. I loved it. I love it too. I love <laughs> it too. I think it's I think it's fantastic stuff. I mean, it arises in the context of a bunch of procedural issues for discovery. Mm -hmm. um, and unfortunately, I'd love to know more about the factual background of this because this does strike me. You know, there's this one point in the decision where they talk about, you know, a three million dollar tax assessment. And most of the penalties. So three yeah. million on tax and penalties. We don't know how much is the F bar penalty. We don't know. No, we don't. But it doesn't doesn't it say in the decision that the majority of the three million is related to information return penalties? Yes. Yeah, here, 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 here it is under factual background. I think this is a very interesting sentence. Uh, anyway, so the IRS audited both plaintiffs, I think it's a husband and wife, right, tax filings for the 2011 to 2015 tax years. The audit resulted in assessment of approximately $3 million of tax and penalty liability. The bulk of the plaintiff's liability arose from penalties assessed for failure to file so-called information returns. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Isn't that interesting? Yes. Mm -hmm. Wow. This, yeah. The only thing that plaintiffs are arguing about is the portion of the penalties attributable to the F bar. That's right. That's yeah, that's right. So we don't we don't know. We don't know. Uh background facts. But they may come to light in due time. Um, but this is definitely a case to watch. Oh, I, I think it's I think it's an absolutely an amazing case, and I think it's one step mm -hmm. uh, in the right direction. And I'm reminded of uh, a quote that's attributed to Martin Luther King Jr., which says, "Which was the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice." Meaning, change takes a long time, but it does happen, and this is definitely moving in the direction of. A more just result, I think. Would you agree? Oh yes. Yep. Absolutely. Oh my God. 
Amazing stuff, Virginia. Amazing. But you know, in closing, man, I'm gonna be, you know, really honest here. This stuff I find incredibly complicated. You know, the interaction of all this stuff and all the uncertainty. I mean, you know, if we can't even, I wouldn't go as far as to say we can't figure it out. I think we do a pretty good job, but it's pretty hard. You know, Absolutely. to figure this stuff out, right? So can you tell me how in God's name? You know, the normal world out there who doesn't think about this stuff at all is even supposed to have even the vaguest idea what's required of them. I I get you, John. It, it, the mind boggles, and truth be told, John, a lot of tax professionals don't have a grasp on any of this stuff, which I understand. They're not taking the time to really try and figure it out. And... I, I mean, I don't know. I understand why. You and I look at these things because we tend to be more intellectually stimulated by it. We want to figure it out. We want to dig deep. But the guy who's running a tax practice and needs to get, you know, a gazillion returns out the door <laughs> doesn't have time for this sort of thing. No, I, I, absolutely not. But, I mean, leaving aside the tax people, I mean, you know, that's a, that's a big problem. But you know, the, the biggest problem of all is, which I've come to see over the years, is that, you know, we're dealing with a system of taxation and reporting and penalties that the people who are the, you know, the end users, so to speak, the people who get these, they don't even know what they're required to do or not do. It's so crazy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Correct. Well, and that is, and that is, of course, the problem. Well, anyway, Virginia, you know, not only do we have a great, it came out the day before Valentine's Day. You know, the, he, the guy and his wife had, probably had a good celebratory Valentine's Day over this, but it's only been out for 10 days. And I've not really seen any deep analysis or any, even any attempt to analyze this at all. So we'll have to see how this all develops. But, uh, you know, it's a great decision, great news, but you would agree with me that there's a lot to analyze in this decision? Oh, yes. And I think, you know, I don't want to put a downer on it, but with that analysis that may be forthcoming, there may be some kinks in the armor, and we don't know what, what it's an appeals court may end up saying so let's just keep our fingers crossed well I, I think that's right and we remember the arc of the you know the arc of justice is long or whatever it takes time but this is a step in the right direction all right where would people read all of your articles on mr fr okay they can go into my tax blog at www.us-tax.org O-R-G, and I have a whole listing of categories that separates out what, what the posts are about, and there is a complete category on Mr. F-Bar. I haven't done a, a post yet on this particular case, but in due time, that'll be forthcoming. Absolutely, and I can tell you, without a doubt, Virginia is the great F-Barologist of our time. So oh, Thanks so much, John. So thanks very much for the chat today, Virginia. This has been great, and I look forward to the next one. Thank you.